Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike, one co-host also. Mike is here. Another Oscar race checkpoint for you as the news will not stop coming fast and furious. The strikes have something to be talked about. The Emmys have something to be talked about. Actually, I guess it's just the strikes impacting all sorts of uh, branches in Hollywood is what we're talking about today in one way or another. Michael. Yeah, and we'll have some uh, film festival updates. New York Film Festival, my favorite film festival, is uh, coming back with a main slate And uh, we'll kind of talk about that for you guys, as well as some TIFF uh, sections that they've just announced. Uh, That'll be like our centerpiece. But yeah, man, we got the 75th Primetime Emmys moving to January 15th of 2024, pal. What do you think this is going to do to the season? Is it going to just crowd it to where all all the people we know are just losing their minds? Or I mean, because we're not really Mike, Mike and Emmy that much. No. No, we we made a specific. <laughs> we didn't call ourselves awards anything because all we cared about was Oscars. So right, that's their loss, not ours. <laughs> We're specific. Now, here's the thing: if like Scream Seven drops around the same time, now we're screwed. Yeah, now we're up against it because we'd have to review Scream Six too. So. Right, because we've waited for to review yeah. a full film study on Scream Six, so that'll either be a five episode week. <laughs> or like, look, you, you guys are probably getting a one episode week this week. We're sorry, but mm. it's the summer and you know life got crazy. Otherwise, we do make up for it. Like we, yeah. we will make up for it later on. We'll give you three, four episode weeks. We always do. I do think. you think they they pick this date on the Emmys because it's so close to my birthday? Yes, yes, I absolutely yeah, do. I do too. I do too. I was going to put that as a prop bet, but I figure it's too too obvious. I agree. Uh, let's keep talking TV awards here for a minute because the Television Critics Awards happened, and it is August, Michael, and I am starved for actual awards news, so we're going to go over it. Uh, program of the year went to succession over a bunch of the primetime Emmy nominees for uh, Best drama, drama or Comedy Series. Last year, they picked the wrong comedy winner. They picked Abbott Elementary which won a bunch of awards throughout the season but lost to Ted Lasso at the 74th primetime Emmys. So Succession winning here is not a shoo-in, but we both think Succession is pretty strong. Yeah, this is going to be a culmination, a crowning achievement for Succession. It is cool to see the likes of Succession and Abbott and Ted Lasso and all that, you know, have the same category to share here. I do like these categories. I they're, they're combined, and they're yeah. going to do that for the uh, lead, or they call it individual achievement in drama, where it's a combination of, uh, of genders and et cetera. And why don't they? I mean, if the Oscars going to do that, like I know we've talked about this before, but do individual achievement and then duo achievement and then trio achievement, and have those be your acting categories. If anyone can combine, the Emmys probably can conv- combine even f- faster than the Oscars because there's so many categories right yeah. mike already yeah, there's so many categories. categories that's right so the, the i mean the golden globes can combine much sooner the oscars i would say they have a harder time doing it just because of the tradition and how everything kind of funnels down 
But I, I would agree with you. people. I know. I would agree. I would just just do it. Rip off the Band-Aid. Yeah. Get it done. We'll, we'll live, all of us Oscar historians. But we do have individual achievement in drama. Rhea Seahorn of Better Call Saul. She wins over a bunch of nominees. Now, this is important because she wins over Sarah Snook, Pedro yeah. Pascal, those are the popular picks in drama season by our series by a lot of Emmy pundits right now. However, again, we we have this award not lining up last year, Mike. Yeah, I mean it, it's it is a again a cool category though because you have not only those names you mentioned but also Kieran Culkin's in there, Jeremy Strong's in there, uh, Dominic Fishback from Swarm got some love in there, Betty Gilpin. So there are some big names, but those you know the Snook and Pascal of it all are the expected favorites to win the Emmys. So to see Rhea Seahorn, I have not finished watching Better Call Saul yet that final season, but if her performance is anything like the you know five and a half season mm-hmm. lead up, which I expect it to be, I'd still say that's a worthy winner. Yeah, even I've over a Sarah Snook. Watched the first three seasons. I almost restarted it the other day. Once I restart it, I'm going to binge it because I am mm-hmm. crushing TV right now. Crushing it. George and You're Tammy. Having, that's the year I had last year. Reservation I Dogs. I even, just to humor you, I watched the second season of Seinfeld. Well, that's, I mean, that's nice. That's a good starting point. But that's, you got to get into like the middle seasons. <laughs> okay. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I am getting there. But uh, last year's winner in the category was Mandy Moore. Uh, individual achievement in drama there. So, you know, who knows what this means. Most of us thought Quinta Brunson was going to be a lock for best comedy uh, series lead. However, we have Natasha Leone winning the TCA here for individual achievement in comedy over Brunson, Edabiri, Ford, Hader, Janelle James, Marsden, Jeremy Allen White was another big uh, victory here for Natasha Leone beating him. And yeah, I don't, I don't know what this says. Yeah, it's not necessarily a surprise that Quinta Brunson lost. I think it's more of a surprise that Jeremy Allen White wasn't the one to beat her. Right. Uh, the Bear otherwise did very well, which makes it even more right. of a formidable win for Natasha Lyonne. Yeah, I mean, I would expect the Bear to have its fans amongst any voting body. I, Poker Face has surprised, right? I mean, we, you know, you watched I Have and you say it's a good enough show, but I don't think we expect it to be as awards gravitating as it has been. And uh, it surprises with some of its Emmy noms. It's it's surprised here. So good for Poker Face. How do I get it without commercials? <laughs> you don't. You got to, like, just deal with it, man. <laughs> How do you watch sporting events? I have my laptop open is what it okay, is. Okay, so do that. <laughs> I guess I have to. You're very ups- You're very, you, you, you get mad at these things. Well, it's, it's, you complaining about commercials is maddening to me. I don't understand it. It's such a privileged take. I just want to pay more to not have commercials in my life. Not it's deal like with them. $4 a month in my case. Or $10 same, a month. It's for the two same. It's the way you have watched TV since you were born. So you think I'm too old. But this is me getting mad at you for TikTok liking or man of recaps. Your love for that. This is yeah, the same. You can watch though. You can watch TikTok and man of recaps during your commercial breaks. Gives you time to do other things. <laughs> that's not. I wish I movies meant. had commercials People, sometimes. Are you listening to this? Can you just? That's not what I meant. I meant the whole. Anyway, all right, we got to move on. You you have the rundown of the rest of the uh, awards here. <laughs> the uh, uh, outstanding series awards here. Reality TV went to Jury Duty, which you were a big fan of. Family Family Series went to Miss Marvel, which mm. is kind of setting the plate there for the Marvels coming up this November. Outstanding new program went to The Bear, as did Outstanding Comedy Series, like Mike alluded to already. Best movie or miniseries went to Beef. 
which had its uh, big fans and big support in the TV Academy, as we talked about with the Emmy noms. Best Drama went to Succession. Get used to hearing that, I think. And the Outstanding Variety Talk or Sketch Awards went to I Think You Should Leave. Good. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh that's the TV side of our awards news. We got a, a, a tidbit here for the Oscars, and this is this is just me saying that all of these best international feature selections are coming. I love following these. I love mm-hmm. following the people on Twitter covering these. I'm a big fan of this category. Sweden selected Thunder as the first national selection of the year uh, for the international feature category of 2024. Here's the plot premise. In a Swiss village, Elizabeth, 17, returns home from the convent after learning of her sister's mysterious death. Reunited with her three childhood friends, she discovers that faith and desire can sometimes be intertwined. I don't think that was... That's my input. (laughs) Was singing about, but it could have been. It could have been. I was (laughs) I just do all four and a half minutes. (laughs) Just keep going. Uh, So that's Sweden. You've been. (laughs) That's Sweden. We have uh, a trailer today that I thought was cool from Chile. This is Pablo Lorraine's El Conde. And I just wanted to mention this. this is a wild trailer. Black and white. Great wire work with all this. What the hell is this? Old it's man like a vamp- com- comedic Dracula movie? I'm glad for the comedic tone here in the trailer. It seems like a s- satire. It seems like a comedy. Pablo Lorraine's kind of pulled that off. It seems very un-Spencer, un- un-Jackie. He pulled that off a little bit more in Ema, like some uh. of his other movies, I'm guessing, go there. But, uh, well, not no Naruto. But anyway, I maybe not. I mean, maybe this, he's just doing his Ari Aster thing for the moment. His bow is afraid. But uh, this trailer was wacky. I wonder if it's competing against Chili 76. That's another contender uh, from from uh, that category there or what. We'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But what I like about this and why I wanted to mention it is that we're going to get a lot of the matchups going on uh, in, mm. in, in, per country. We'll see who comes out. And, and we'll... that stuff matters. I mean, yeah. just look at last year. We It was one of the biggest talking points of, uh, you know, RRR missing its selection. And because it wasn't India's official selection for the international feature category at the Oscars, it probably shot itself in the foot for a couple other categories. Absolutely. So, all right, we'll get into the film festival news now. We'll start off with my favorite, the New York Film Festival 61st edition. They have announced their main slate. And we got a bunch of of films here that we previously previewed so we'll kind of go through them a little quicker michael yeah so will anyone show up will the stars show up at the new york film festival uh that's been a talking point that we've had here that's been a talking point in hollywood obviously it's a fluid situation we may get scooped by the time even this episode comes out but from what i can tell and I, i tried researching this it's tough to research but so far, from what I've seen, the only film on this you know premier festival circuit that's explicitly been given a SAG interim agreement to promote at Venice, not even at New York, but at Venice thus far, has been Luc Besson's Dogman. Um, mm-hmm. I expect, and it, it seems like if you read the trades, the uh, SAG has been, the, the executives of SAG anyway, have been kind of pushing back against this narrative from their members that these uh, interim agreements are going to do more harm than good. And the leadership at SAG is saying, no, these are actually, we want a lot of interim agreements because it gives a lot more shine to lower 
you know, lower card actors. It lets them keep working. And it actually undermines some of the bigger studios by having some of the independent studios come and agree to our terms, et cetera, et cetera. So the, uh, the Fran Dreschers of them all have really been adamant that the interim agreements are a, um, a, uh, why can I think of the word negotiating tool? There we go. Mm. Uh, in SAG's favor. So I would expect there to be a lot more. Now you can nitpick and say, is it a negotiating tool to have the, have interim agreements where productions go on versus have interim agreements where stars hit the red carpets. Is there a difference there where one can do more harm than good to the other of SAG's negotiating posture? Again, that's a debate you could have, but for what it's worth at this point, SAG's executive committee likes the idea of interim agreements. So with that in mind, I would expect there to be stars showing up at some of these red carpets. That is good news. And it would be good news overall if SAG and the AMPTP just kept talking, and therefore I would think you'd get more sticks and carrots happen, and, and mm. the carrots being those interim agreements, or at least part of that, uh, would be would be better than what we're dealing with now, this terrible stalemate. So I do understand how these film festivals are booking some of these movies, though. Like They have three big-name directors for... Uh, there, there are three uh, featured spots like May, December. We've covered it. Todd Haynes, the consummate New Yorker, he can open the festival with that opening nighter, even if Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore cannot be there for Netflix. You have Priscilla, Sofia Coppola as the New York Film Festival centerpiece. Again, even if uh, your favorite Michael you know, Jacob Elordi's not there for A24. And you might see an interim agreement here for A24. I don't think they're struck, but I'm not sure. Well, A24 reached their own, like, separate agreement with SAG, I think. Right. To, like, just keep all their productions keep going. Because they agreed to SAG's terms conditioned on, obviously, they'll agree to whatever the AMPTP and the SAG negotiate after all that's done. But until then, I think A24 is still in business. The Guggenheim people are behind A24, too. So they're very New York, and this makes some sense there. Uh, that, so that's Priscilla, Priscilla, or Priscilla. Priscilla, Priscilla. <laughs> oh. Priscilla's going to have its uh, its opening on Venice in the midweek as well, according to uh, Alberto Barber's Twitter account. Yeah, New York's more important. Uh, Ferrari, <laughs> Ferrari's going to close the festival as we've covered. Michael Mann, again, another another big name director. Uh, he'll he'll close the festival for Neon. There, worst case scenario, if Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz cannot show up. What if Adam Driver? First of all, did Adam Driver get this role in Ferrari just because of his last name? That's question number one. Oh, that's a good point. It's a, it's yep. a really, really good point. Yep. It's not Thank a funny you. point. It's not. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give you a laugh. I'm not even well, give you a. You could. No, I'm not even. Make me feel it, better. Uh, no, no. Mm-hmm. This is going to be me. I'm stick. I'm standing my ground because. Uh, for once, I just I'm go have silent for the rest of the episode. I don't say a word. <laughs> All you hear is intermittent sobbing on this end. Um, <laughs> t- two, uh, Ferrari's obviously being positioned for like giant awards success you would think neon first of all second of all christmas debut third of all closing night at new york film festival fourth of all it's the second night premiere having its world premiere at the second night of the venice film festival after opening night film commandant which we talked about last episode so this is being positioned as like a serious awards contender and that kind of uh leads us into our first prop bet of the episode like we just previewed (laughs) On opening night, the opening night, the centerpiece, and the closing night films at this year's 61st New York Film Festival are May, December, Priscilla, and Ferrari. The last time films featured in those three spots at any New York Film Festival, the last time those three films went 0 for 3 Mm. in terms of being nominated for any Oscars was 2017. That trio was Last Flag Flying, Wonderstruck, and Wonder Wheel. A Woody Allen film? No. 
seriously, go on. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, you'd have to go back to 1998 to find such an nice. occurrence where celebrity, another Woody Allen movie? No way. Uh, Black Cat, <laughs> White Cat, and The Dream Life of Angels were the three films covering those three spots, and all of those missed out on Oscar nominations. So it doesn't happen often. So, Mike, the prop bet here, will any of May, December, Priscilla, and or Ferrari receive any Oscar nomination? Yes is minus 2,000. No is plus 1,200. So I know you don't like betting on sure things. I would, I would, I think I would think that's almost a sure thing. I would agree with you, but that's also why I try to put the odds at prohibitively high. So I don't know what's worth risking. I guess I would say, and if, I don't know. I mean, risk two hundred to make what? What is that? What Five I bucks, I think. Five bucks. Yeah, yeah. I guess ten you're bucks. right. I think it's no. ten bucks. Two hundred to make ten bucks is. Is it worth it? Is it worth just taking the 10 bucks? Well, here's here's the second part of the prop bet, then. If you're so sure one of them's going to be nominated, which of those movies, it's the second part of the same prop bet, which of those movies is going to have the most Oscar noms? Hmm. May, December, I'll give you plus 600. Priscilla, plus 150. Ferrari, minus 200. Uh, that's tough. That's tough. I'm just, get, you know, I'm, I'm guessing. My, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's Priscilla. That, that seems to be the movie that you and I are high-fiving over the most based on our mm-hmm. teaser. And Sofia Coppola, we've been big fans. And I've been big fans, a big fan of Sofia Coppola at the New York Film Festival with On the Rocks during the COVID year. We had fun with that. And with uh, back when I was uh, in school going to Marie Antoinette, uh, it was a lot of fun seeing it, listening to her speak at the press screening, etc. Because they let the students go to the press screenings back when. Anyway, I, I'm rooting for her there. I would guess... Yeah, I, I would I would still guess. You know, I'd go with my gut then. I'd root for Priscilla. So you would put, how much would you put on Priscilla at plus 150? What are you risking? I, I guess, I, I mean, I wouldn't go crazy. I'd probably put like 100 on it. Are you not betting on, for, uh, first of all, do you agree with the outlay of the odds there? Do you think Ferrari is most likely to lead in Oscar noms of those three? Maybe I, I'm not sure because Michael Mann has struggled so hard. Right. I mean, who's time. to know? We only know so much about each of these films. Adam Driver could just be Super Mario in this. The Italian accent could go too far. Which, by the way, I watched that movie, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Finally, mm-hmm. what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's a kids movie, man. Yeah. Look, as a kids movie for Mario, I, I agree. It's fine. <laughs> Adults should not be enamored with that movie. No, I I didn't like it that much. It was fine though. I, just, yeah. I you know it's like yeah. it's like an A is C plus B minus. Yeah, that's what I I ranked it a C plus yeah. I think. But uh, uh, anyway, I, I don't know about Ferrari. Michael Mann is such a wild card now. It's a bigger budget, so if it doesn't make its money back, you could have you know first man slash every big budget movie that didn't do well uh, backlash right. Mm-hmm. Awards the backlash. So we've seen a lot of these movies that were late breakers just kind of be blips sometimes. I mean, sure. I, I hate to say that, Neon, but um, remember the the movie, the Mary Queen of Scots movie with Saoirse Ronan? And, oh, yeah. And I mean, I did a whole, whole rundown like last year about how the Christmas release is more of a burden than it has been a help. It's... Uh, it could go either way. It's a double-edged sword. So I'm going to say Priscilla. That's just my feel. Plus, I know the New York Film Festival centerpiece, like we've seen Nomadland be the centerpiece. The centerpiece spot for me 
is the prestigious spot. Irishman was... No, Irishman was opening night now. Anyway, but whatever. Centerpiece spot is usually what I consider the most Oscar-y, but who the hell knows. Plus 150. How much are you betting in your current situation? I'll bet bet $100. $100. Because that's a tough... You know, that's that's a tough bet. I probably won't touch the terrible odds on the uh, sure thing bet, though. Okay. I'll pull a a U. (laughs) <laughs> and not just take your money. Your Fair fake, enough. Your fake money. All right. So we have a bunch of movies that we've already previewed, like I've you know, uh, been saying, uh, that have gone to Cannes, etc. I'm going to run them down, and Mike's going to throw some uh, commentary here about dry glasses or grasses. I think it's grasses. <laughs> you have changed your mind on this like three times already. Well, because I'm not sure. I can't. I need. I may need glasses myself. Because I can't read the R or the L. <laughs> about Eight, Mike's glasses. About also Mike's glasses. Mike's glasses will oh, just a prestigious film from this year's uh, can. It's uh, just you doing your Velma from Scooby Doo, like on your knees, reaching around for things. <laughs> Ninety Merv, minutes. Merv Dizdar won the Best Actress award. Uh, this movie is about Turkish school teachers going through like a midlife crisis. <laughs> I think at 197 minutes, so a long movie about Turkish. How are you not giving me prop bets about whether or not I ever watched that movie? (laughs) Because (laughs) you know would be minus 18 billion. You, it's like the dumbest bet ever to to bet you. you, uh, No, I've thought about this, and I'm like, I just don't want to discourage you from (laughs) watching less, you know, of these film festival movies that we hype. Anyway. All right, we'll, we'll review the trailer for this next one, Mike. All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt. This was a Sundance film from Raven Jackson, writer-director. Uh, Sheila A-Team of The Woman King stars. 85 Metascore, a decade-spanning exploration of a woman's life in Mississippi and an ode to the generations of people, places, and ineffable moments that shape us is the premise. What do you think of the trailer? Ineffable is a great word. Uh, so it's a 103-second trailer that doesn't really give us much insight into any kind of conflict or plot until the one minute mark. And then we see that house on fire and maybe the 52nd mark there. So uh, it's slow. It's a lot of like hymnal church type chanting that ends up folding itself into this orchestral crescendo. As far as the score for the, the triveting, the, the, uh, the trailer goes, Uh, I I combine trailer and riveting there because you have the last shot, which is, I guess a tornado or a hurricane working its way through. And it looks gorgeous. And it, it looks CGI for a, for a trailer does not give you any sort of FX whatsoever up until that point. A24 cinematography is pretty fantastic. Yeah. This, this felt very Terrence Malicky to me. And the fact that A24 is throwing VFX uh, and, and, and seamlessly editing into uh, their films now, just it, it's a bit more of a flex. Uh, I mm. would say, even though that you know some of their previous films have had it, they've had just really talented filmmakers, you know, make things look like their budgets are fifty million dollars more. So again, that's a testament to the filmmakers they pick. This was a beautiful trailer, not a lot of story, like you said, but we are transported to an earlier time. Now I'm not sure what decade exactly, and I tried to look up what decade, and it's not anywhere. <laughs> so I, I, you know, some people who watch cars in, in a trailer and a movie, and they're like, oh, 1957. 
They <laughs> yes, just know. Yes, yes. I've never been one of those people, so I have no idea. But there's a lot of cars in the trailer. So if you're one of those people, maybe you'll enjoy as much. Uh, we'll move on, Mike, to All of Us Strangers. 1957. <laughs> we'll move on to All of Us Strangers from Searchlight. This is from writer-director Stephen Haig of Looking Weekend. Lean on Pete, 45 years. The big Oscar uh, piece of his resume, 45 years there. All of Us Strangers stars... Paul Mescal of After Sun, Jamie Bell of Rocketman, Andrew Scott of Fleabag, and Claire Foy of The Crown. It tells the story of a screenwriter who, after an encounter with his neighbor, is pulled back in, pulled back into his childhood home where he discovers that his long-dead parents are living and looking the same as they did the day they died. Yeah, we previewed this, and that's still it's not a concept uh, or a premise that's gotten any easier for me to swallow because this is, if I remember right, this was uh, listed on IMDb as like a comedy, right? I'm so confused. There's such a nice, uh, happy still of, you know, Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal in like a club, right? Drama fantasy now it's listed as. I mean, this could be the premise for a horror movie. Taichi Yamada's novel. It, it could very well go into the I'm, I'm thinking of ending things route. Yeah. The Charlie Kaufman movie there that we reviewed a couple years back during the pandemic, Mike. But uh, you never know. Maybe this is a maybe this is a sleeper hit coming out of the new york film festival looking forward why to not that. hold this until after gladiator 2 is my question <laughs> okay what <laughs> well i mean look Mesc- i say that because if mezcal is the star of this and his star is obviously on the rise after last year with an oscar nom mm-hmm. make let him be the breakout in a big budget mainstream action movie and then put this out you might get a little more run at the box office with it so he's going to be in foe for amazon foe and he's going to be in this now not so. pho not PHO. Could be a dip. Maybe they're fighting over noodles. I wish. Then mm. I would. <laughs> I would go to to any festival to go watch it. Uh, we got a bunch more movies here. I'll r- rip them off. Anatomy of a Fall. Obviously, we talked about the Palm Door winning film from Justin Triet, Sandra Huller, and Neon's t- uh, October thirteenth release date. There. It was it a murder? Was it an accident? That's coming to New York Film Festival. I'm it very was excited. a murder. <laughs> <laughs> we got the Beast. This was the cockamamie, cock-a-shit plot line from Leia <laughs> Sadie. I'm killing this movie. It might be the best movie of the festival. Who the hell knows? Poor, poor George McKay, too. George McKay, the beast, is going to Venice. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see it. I may just have to see that on principle now. Uh, I hope it's the greatest movie ever made. I, me, too. I love Leia Sadie. Uh, La, La Camira uh, from Cannes, Venice, Josh O'Connor. 88 Metascore, Alice Rohrwalker's film there. Well-reviewed from Cannes. The Delinquents. The Delinquents got a lot of sneaky good buzz out of Cannes. 92 Metascore score is it me or is this like i have to stop i'm never gonna stop saying like i just have to admit that to myself that's Mm -hmm. a flaw and it's never gonna leave my vocabulary my lexicon you watched a lot of mtv and vh1 (laughs) right it's true that's actually extremely true Mm -hmm. it seems as if (laughs) 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 there is Higher Metascore grades and critics grades all around from these premier film festivals as even just compared to a couple years ago. I wonder why that is. I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe it's just a great can. Maybe we're in for a great international feature yeah, category this could year. could be. Or maybe critics are losing their dang minds. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I will be the judge. <laughs> After And, and look, you got to pass the, the mics really full on a burger it's true. and three Guinnesses it's true. test. Mm-hmm. That's how you know if it's really a good movie or not. That is, that's that's true. It, it, and again, I mean, no matter how good the movie is, I think if I was in that situation, I'm falling asleep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't care if it, if it is Gladiator 2. 
Uh, anyway, a couple more. We have Evil Does Not Exist. Just announced today the Drive My Car director Ryosuke Hamaguchi's film will get a uh, Janus Films release after its uh, festival play. Cool. So that's coming out uh, in New York. We have Fallen Leaves, 79 Metascore, a very before sunset like plot, which is very intriguing to me because I love Before Sunset and the Before yeah. trilogy from Richard Linklater there. That's got a cult following, that Before series. The oh, before yeah, trilogy. I love it. What a great series. Last Summer, this is the Catherine Brylett uh, film from Cannes, big, big French director there. Perfect Days, Michael, Vim Vendors. Cannes Best Actor winner Koji Yakusho. This was the your favorite premise of the Cannes Film Festival to a 74 Metascore. A janitor going around, driving around, listening to music. I need this to be no more than what the premise promises. Like, for my faith to be restored in Hollywood in general. I, I just need this movie to be a man listening to music, driving to various schools, doing his janitorial duties. So what should I eat before this movie? Should, I, can't like, ha- I can't give it the burger and Guinness. A sandwich stuff. wrapped in plastic wrap. Because that's what the janitor has time to eat on his lunch break. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. We have Poor Things. Poor Things is heading to Venice. Poor Things from Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, Focus features Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, Rami Youssef, Jared Carmichael there. This is now coming out in December, so this is cool. We get Poor Things at the New York Film Festival. But don't expect it to be an Oscars nomination monster. That's this according to one of the Venice Film Festival programmers taken from worldofreal.com. Quote, in my opinion, Poor Things, one of the best films of the competition. It's also Yorgos Lanth- Lanthimos' most visually beautiful film. That's good. I'll also tell you that it's not a film that will be liked by everybody. It's hmm. not the favorite, which was the film that even the anti-Lanthimos crowd really liked. So are we getting something even more bizarre than Killing of a Sacred Deer type stuff here? I don't know. This guy made a movie about incest, <laughs> nominated and, for and little wabbits, Oscars. Right? He made a movie about some. What was the lobster about? The lobster was the weirdest friggin' plot ever, and that movie got nominated for Oscars. Yeah, and he that's did the true. favorite, which was this. Ugh, thirteen Oscars, and it was like this soul crushing plot. Well, the favorite at least had a template. Like it had an Oscars template to follow. It was all about Eve and dresses pretty victorian era dresses right to so, a point but right to, I mean, obviously yeah. it's not a one-to-one but it at least had that we've seen that movie have that type of path to general oscars acceptance before hmm. I the, the lobsters and the killing of the sacred deers of it all we it's more original but here's the here's here's the thing for me i want to see poor things even more after reading that kind of uh tip from world of real I do, but I also don't want it to be just Frankenstein. Because that's what I'm expecting right now. Wes Anderson's Frankenstein? Right, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be, but maybe maybe it is. And then we'll... We'll just go back to PJ Clarkson. We'll have another three Guinnesses and a burger. Right, so is what it is. All right. The zone of interest, 98 Metascore, obviously a huge, uh, huge buzzworthy film out of can. The uh, Grand Prix winner, which was like the silver medalist in the in the pomp category there. World War II about a family that lives outside the uh, concentration camp. Sandra Huller multiple shots at an Oscar for her writer director Jonathan Glazer and probably a, a contender in international feature we don't know Germany or Poland yet from A24 uh, nothing to say there we've already a zone of interest is becoming one of those that we've previewed and previewed and previewed unlike the ones we usually do though I'm still just as interested to, to see this I mean the the premise of it being about living your everyday life 
adjacent to one of the Holocaust camps is something. Here's what I'm. Here's my worry about the zone of interest at the New York Film Festival. I gotta I gotta look back and see when it's coming out because I don't know if I want to do this as part of like a triple or quadruple feature. I may not be able to enjoy the film. You or need receive a the happy. Film. If you could get to a happy nightcap, like a maybe film you it, know is going to be an uplifting. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if it's a double feature, but then right. you got to be careful. This is the New York Film Festival. These right. are not the right. list of happy films. I mean, this is, you know, I know what I'm going. I'm in for. And here. good God, if you go and you're disappointed by Zone of Interest, like on top of being depressed by it, ugh. Exactly. I catch a train immediately. Anyway, you remember when uh, the documentary Youth (parentheses Spring) was going to win the Palm? That didn't happen, <laughs> but it's going to New York. Uh, and look, I mean. The documentary feature category probably going to get filled with a couple of documentaries because the United States, all they want to do, and they're doing a good job of it, but all they want to do is release like bio documentaries and that's it. Yeah, well, there's a reason for that. They're making money right now. It's a golden age for them and they're getting the awards too, right? And it's autobiographical documentaries. Anyway, uh, we have some honorable mentions. Let me tell you about me. (laughs) These are not honorable mentions. Excuse me. No, these are these are some mentions of films that we have yet to preview. So I'll give you a little more about this, Mike. Tell me what tickles your fancy. Do not expect too much from the end of the world. This is from Romanian Maniac. That just sounds like bad advice. This guy's a maniac. Radu Jude of bad luck banging or loony porn. Oh, you like that movie though. I caught was cautiously thumbs sideways slightly up on you were expecting not to like it that movie is unwatchable in the in the middle of the movie it's just like this pornographic art film for 30 minutes (laughs) (laughs) but the end of the movie is actually really good the last 30 minutes i'm not here for that (laughs) what did you say triveting the last 30 minutes was triveting (laughs) Uh, this is the story of a day in the life of an overworked film production assistant so Kind of cool idea. Not exactly uh, the uh, the same type of movie as Bad Luck Banging. That's right. The Bad Luck Banging yeah. was was fun. All right. Yeah. Uh, Green Border from Oscar-nominated Polish writer-director Agnieszka Holland. Uh, she has made... Uh, her last film was terrific in my mind, Charlatan, uh, that I saw during the pandemic. Green Border is about a family of Syrian refugees trying to make it in Poland. going to be a heavy subject there. Sounds like it. Uh, here, this is the best film winner from Berlin's international film competition. Here's premise. Uh, might be the most boring in history, Michael. You ready? <laughs> yes, give it to me. <laughs> You're going to yawn before or afterwards. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I'll work on one. A, it's a Belgian film about a Romanian man returning home and recon- reconnecting with family over bowls of soup. Okay. <laughs> bowls of soup. Yeah. Then he meets up with a Chinese bryologist while going on hikes because she's studying the moss. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was trying to zag and make you feel bad about saying how boring it is, but no, that's, yeah, Appar- that's not a great premise. Apparently, Romanians have, like, soup gifts that they give they're, one another. In the they're family. literally watching grass grow in this movie. Like, I just don't, yeah, I just don't know why this is a movie. Like, who pitched this? Who received this pitch? Who... <laughs> This could be the greatest director. He must be Hollywood the greatest. Hollywood just keeps making the same movie over and over again. Anyway, it must be a great movie. Uh, we have we have Hong Sang-so's seventh feature film since 2020, Mike, in our day. Take a break. And then we have uh, Hong Sang-so's eighth feature film since 2020. <laughs> 
take a break, man. And this might be his third year with two NYFF films, or, or his second year. I can't remember, but this dude, they love him in New York. Lincoln Center. Take a break. <laughs> How about this? make eight movies in three years. How about like this? Like, Ty West did three, two and a half, basically. And we were like, that's too much. But how much praise does Ty West got? And then this yeah, dude's done true. it like easy every couple of years, uh, every year, every year, not every he couple of years. He doesn't understand what's so impressive about Ty West's accomplishment. No, not at all. Uh, how about this? Janet Planet. This is the debut film from Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Annie Baker, starring Julianne Nicholson of Mayor of Easttown fame, Monos. She's also great in that movie. Uh, Sophie Okonedo also stars. She was the Oscar nominee from Hotel Rwanda. Janet Planet is about a mother-daughter where the kid is essentially watching her mom navigate three relationships, I think back-to-back-to-back, during a summer in 1991 Massachusetts. See, it was easier to do those types of things back then. Mm -hmm. Because there's no cell phones, no... You know, tracking stuff, no social media. You could do three relationships either at one time or back to back to back. Like oh, do you think they're simultaneous relationships? I don't know what that means in the in the plot premise. Listen, it might mean they better be because I can't. The idea of having three separate relationships over one single summer. So it, she's not a Pulitzer winning crazy. playwright for nothing. Annie Baker is probably taking this, you know, this this standby of every sitcom that's ever been written. Right. Like, you have to have an episode where your protagonist is going on two dates. Right, right, right. But she's got three dates. Yeah. That's why she won the Pulitzer. A24, yeah. again. I'm in, I'm in for Janet Planet. I, I, I still... I'm not in for that soup movie. I'll tell you that. <laughs> the soup in the moss movie. Pass. Hard pass. All right. So that's the main slate highlights for me, at least so far, from the New York Film Festival, 61st edition. They will have their spotlight section a coming. Last year, we had women talking. She said, till senior bones and all, all amongst uh, selections in the spotlight section. I'm very curious to see, Michael, if we're going to get like big name movies in that section again this year with the strikes going on. Because, I mean, we've had movies as big as Dune. We've had The Lost Daughter, French Dispatch in past years spotlighted. It's certainly been a harbinger of things to come in terms of Oscars success or at least nominations. Yeah, I, I love the spotlight section, and a lot of those movies wound up being encored and uh, I'm going to Encore Weekend as well. So got to get your tickets. You can save 100 bucks for the next few days if you want to do a pass, especially a 12-film pass. So go to filmlink.org, my favorite place there, Film Society at Lincoln Center, and go get them. All right. Some highlights from some TIFF sections, Michael. We have the Midnight Madness section here, which is always a favorite of yours. You always, I think if you had your druthers, yes. you would head to Toronto and... Yep. and frequent the midnight madness section i have said forever toronto has always sounded like the best film festival to me in terms of just pure selection and midnight madness is definitely a big part of that yes so we're going to review this trailer later on but dicks the musical is the midnight madness opening film that's uh, going to be the last prop bet of the episode is i have a prop bet about dicks for you <laughs> very good <laughs> you uh, is it over under dicks in the movie uh, no, but I should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to make you give me that on the spot, and I want to bet on that. Boy Kills World. This is Bill Skarsgård commits bloody martial arts mayhem as a deaf warrior trained by a mysterious shaman, the raids Yian Ruhian, uh, to topple a far-flung dystopian uh, whatever society there. That looks nuts from the still. 
he's yeah he's all ripped. cut up and ripped and i'm getting pretty damn sick of bill skarsgård being so talented <laughs> <laughs> he was great in barbarian wasn't he john wick four it yeah uh harmony kareen's agro drift starring travis scott that's going to venice and also toronto's midnight madness section how about venice picking a midnight madness section toronto film like i, mean, I think it's has, out of comp but yeah. they've tried to do a little more current stuff you know it wasn't uh, was was top gun one of the tom cruise movies recently was venice one of the fast movies recently was venice as well so they're trying to be more contemporary that was always Cannes Lane for me. Anyway, yeah. Cannes or Cannes, I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, Cannes hell- of soup that that guy's going <laughs> to. So the, the the Travis Scott movie, though, Agro Drift, mm-hmm. I, I saw something on Reddit. And if what I saw is what the movie's going to be, it's like this psychedelic AI that shifts and morphs both the actor and the background. So nothing's really ever the same frame to frame. I, I, I genuinely think it might make people sick. Hmm. Well, won't be the first Harmony Korine movie where I get sick. <laughs> it's nuts. It's a, it's like it's a visual roller coaster, and it's tough to keep up with what's going on. And if it is if it is that, then I can see why this originally wasn't going to be. You know, it was always rumored to be debuted. It was always going to be shelved by A twenty four originally because it doesn't. I don't see how you can make a narrative feature out of what that is. Those out of competition Venice movies are boom or bust, yeah. my friend. They can go either way. Like, why are they not in competition? Could be something like a Scorsese or a Tarantino movie. Yeah, right. they don't want to bother, but oh boy. Uh, Hell of a Summer, directed by and stars Finn Wolfhard of Stranger Things. Young directorial debut here. Mm-hmm. And he casts basically all of his friends and like the next generation, Gen Z Hollywood. Look at that cast. I love I love a lot of those actors. A masked killer terrorizes the counselors of a summer camp in this sardonic slasher comedy, Michael. I love the hands that horror is, is falling into with the Jordan Peels and the Ari mm. Asters and Finn Wolfhard getting his play here. And horror is really kind of having its own renaissance golden age for the first time since probably the 70s. Uh, who was that girl? That, she was so young and she did like a family band you know bare bones production there's a shutter original movie and she's like 15 and she directed it and it was awesome like sorcerer oh. so i forget it was like a year or two ago i have to look through old scaries that was such a well-directed movie and it was just the the girl she's like a 15 16 year old whatever hmm. she was anyway no, i think bell, but yeah ah witch it was a witch movie anyway somebody will remember and i'll look it up later i'll remember anyway gonzo oh, i girl. think i know what movie you're talking about too <laughs> we're never gonna get it no i don't know we could have a thousand it. guesses <laughs> we're never gonna get it and we're never gonna remember what it is even if we did get it we would just keep going on in circles <laughs> let's talk about the discovery section of the toronto international film festival here we have gonzo girl willem dafoe and camilla maroney star and patricia arquette's high-flying fast-paced directorial debut based on cheryl della pietra's semi-autobiographical novel chronicling her time as hunter s thompson's personal assistant gonzo girl how about that job this should be agro drift Mm. <laughs> like taking all the psychedelics and the the AI shifting background stuff as if you're Hunter S. Thompson's assistant, that should be how you tell that movie. <laughs> I don't disagree. How to Have Sex, this was another big hit from I Can. can use this. Molly Manning Walker's <laughs> Certain Regard winner. Uh, a blurry and 
almost out-of-body night in Crete land 16-year-old Tara, who is on a wild holiday with her best friends, on a mission of self-knowledge to the best of her ability. So that, that movie's going to, again, you know, be a big hit with Gen Z, we think, we hope. Yeah, and tread lightly with the underage uh, if there's actual, you know, any kind of nudity or sex in there, let's hope. Let's be, let's be artsy. Yeah, we would have heard that already, right? Right? Who the hell knows? Who the hell knows? That's right. <laughs> I mean, it's the outrage candy. is so selective sometimes, you know? All right. Pedro Almodovar, Spike Lee, they're going to receive this year's TIFF Awards, Michael. And I was wondering why. I mean, the obvious answer is that actors aren't attending, so they're not giving yes. the Oscar campaigning people the awards, right? However, Pedro Almodovar only has the short film with uh, Pedro Pascal and Ethan Hawke coming to movie. And Spike Lee has... Nothing coming out this year. I mean, he can always get an award. He deserves it. But listen to his three projects. I was like, just looking up Spike Lee's future projects on IMDb. He have Prince. He has Prince of Cats. This is a hip hop Romeo and Juliet. Oh, didn't Boz Lerman do that? <laughs> a hip hop? Anyway. Oh yeah, it's musical a little bit, but yeah. We have The Understudy, which stars Jonathan Majors. So that's probably yeah, not coming who out. Who knows? But how about this Boner? Yes, Boner, written by David Kirshner of Zola and Kwame Kwe Arma of Breaking, uh, two indie films we we liked. Boner has a premise of, it's a musical about the origin of Viagra, Pfizer's erectile dysfunction <laughs> drug. Spike Lee. Okay, as funny as that is, if I were to tell you two of Spike's next three movies are going to be musicals. Crazy, I don't know right? that you would have seen that coming. He's done documentaries about musicians and, and and singer songwriters and and hip-hop artists yeah i don't know if he's yeah he, he hasn't done a musical musical has he i can't remember not that i i mean music has always played a big role in his movies obviously he's also directed like 50 films so right. there might be one of them in That's there true. That's we don't true. know anyway um if you asked college age me i would have known i can't remember <laughs> now uh tiff's closing night film is going to be the netflix documentary on sylvester stallone called sly so sly saw the arnold renaissance happening all over netflix and he just wanted it on the action is that what happened here absolutely 100 percent. this was confirmed in the doc series that i just watched the arnold doc series on netflix and sly's like the best interview in that whole thing because he is just like unhinged talking all kinds of trash about the rivalry that was between arnold and him before they became <laughs> friends right before they you know went into business playing in hollywood together right so yeah. that was that was a lot of fun so I wonder how much this plays into like Stallone is kind of becoming more of a an everyday personality again. He's got that the family Stallone. I think it's on Paramount. Hmm. Uh, that's like his own. I guess it's his Kardashians type thing where it's his family all the, all the time and an insight into his life. And he's putting this one out, which is supposed to be a biographical look back into his career and life. And he's got Tom Zimney behind the camera of it. That's from Awards Watch. And Zimney's got his a whole history of, of dealing with uh, biographies himself or, or, or excuse me documentaries himself so hmm. should be interesting i'm surprised this is the type of film that tiff's going with a closing night selection though they don't always have the the big oscar movies the eventual oscar winners opening and closing necessarily um but yeah we'll we'll see we'll have to wait and see maybe, maybe it is uh let's get into that strike update that was promised. This is our industry news. And before we talk about the newly scheduled meetings, let's discuss the meetings that 
went awry, Michael. The WGA and AMPTP, I think it was last weekend, they talked about talking about meeting, and then they, I think they met briefly, or did they, they met about meeting, but they didn't accomplish shit. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the headlines say the meeting here didn't go well, but the difference between the, stri- the strike in 2008 and this one is the power of social media and getting messages out there for the writer's side. There was all sorts of stuff written about how this is the AMPTP playbook and the, the WGA was sending their members, to, you know, be cautious. Yes, we're meeting. We hope this is all in good faith, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, going into the meeting, I guess it's supposed that the AMPT asked for a media blackout from the WGA. Uh, hmm. And so no details of the meeting would be leaked. And then immediately once the meeting ended, some WGA members saw outlets having been leaked details. So they, they knew that was all BS and that the AMPTP was the one leaking to the, uh, the media themselves. So the, the WGA then sent out a, uh, a rundown of what happened in the meeting to all their members. And the, the two big quotes that every outlet has made sure to hone in on was mm. that the AMPTP refused to engage in discussions about writers' rooms minimums, viewing them as quotas, and they don't want to hire, have hiring quotas for their writers' rooms. And they refused to talk about success-based residuals, which... Look, if the AMPTP is really going to have, I'm like, if they're really mm. against success-based residuals, they got to get their message out there far more clearly with a lot more clarification in the media. Because as far as I think any layperson goes, just the the, uh, the phrase success-based residuals, I think is how a lot of laypeople and even people in the industry think that's how television has run forever. Because it is, isn't right. it? <laughs> so I don't. I mean, to a degree, I, right? I don't understand how they can have that. We're not going to discuss success-based residuals. Like that's how the industry has been run. Unless there's some kind of specificity, or they want to pick some nits within any type of residuals. And if that's the case, the AMPTP is doing a horrible job of getting their message out there. I don't understand in general how the AMPTP is allowed to exist because mm. the sole purpose for their existence, to me is just to union bust, even though it's not necessarily to break up the union. I understand it's like to negotiate on behalf of the studios, but the studios have no reason to combine and unionize their own efforts except to screw over the unions of their low workers. Yeah. So I, I, I don't get the legality of how this entity is allowed to exist, but nonetheless, it was a bad meeting and it seemed like the WGA, again, as they have every step of this strike, got the upper hand and got their message out in a far more effective manner through social media than the AMPTP did. Uh, and then there's been calls recently, like you said, for another meeting, which by the time everyone's hearing this episode will have already happened. I think so. We hope so. Yeah. Mayhaps. Uh, so, yeah, if you're listening on August 11th or 12th, that's when they're supposed to be meeting. We don't know if this is back to the playbook, like you said. Of, uh, of the last strike where, you know, the, the studios kept jerking them around and that was part of the posturing. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But uh, back on that residuals point, we also read a story from the L.A. Times and we, I read the uh, screen rant uh, in front of the payroll kind of summary of it. And uh, this is about the fact that South Korean actors do not get residuals from Netflix, Michael. Yeah. There's got to be more that I'm missing here, because if this is all as simple as these articles have made it seem, where a conglomerate the size of Netflix has just not paid residuals wholly to actors for South Korean projects, and the reason they aren't doing so is because they can say, look, we're just abiding by South Korean 
you know, the province law and all that. It, that's that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. I, pay residuals. I don't care what Korean law says you do and do not have to do. You're Netflix, for Christ's sake. And the Korean equivalent of SAG is the Korean Broadcasting Actors Union. According to Song Chang Gong, the president of that union, via screen rent here, Netflix is refusing to even meet with that union to discuss the idea of residuals are paying out there. And that's been their defense. They came out via screen rant again saying they're following South Korean law and as a streamer they aren't entitled to pay residuals and blah, blah, blah. Like, enough is enough with the technicalities of this. The only streamers that exist that can afford to pay residuals are ones that are basically publicly traded companies anyway. Why not just have Congress pass a law saying that if you're publicly traded or if you have a market cap of X amount of dollars in the billions, like WB and Netflix and all these other organizations do, mm-hmm. you ha- have to pay residuals. Yeah, I, I have no idea. This is uh, above my head. I would say I get it a little bit from the Netflix perspective because they're, they're just making their... I mean, here's the thing. How much do we buy that they're barely profitable? Right. We don't buy that anymore. And that would be their excuse, too. If they, if Congress ever did intervene, they would, they would probably spin these off into wholly independent companies and then show their books showing a massive loss. Right, but they they just reported quarterly earnings that were humongous, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that wasn't just the fact that uh, you know they didn't have to pay some production costs. Uh, look, they they know that's coming, so you know due to the strikes that is. So the Netflix is making big money now to the point where at least they should have tiers where they could give residuals on on films that. Uh, that, that, that really overperform or that series that really overperform. I mean, just think about Squid Game becomes this international hit, this global hit, and what do those people get as, as a bonus? I mean, I, well, guess, I guess it's all about their next deal. They, can, they have leverage on their next deal. This goes into the next prop bet that I have, and a lot of this strife for this issue in particular is coming as a result of the fact that ne- neither Netflix nor any other streaming service releases their numbers. And we have no clue, and and the parties, the actors, have no clue uh, what they're what these shows are actually doing because these streaming services don't have to and are choosing not to release their viewership numbers. But obviously, the biggest card the AMPTP has to play with is withholding those numbers, as they would only be used for the unions to gain further leverage in their claims if they were released. So, you would think though there would be a point in the future where. Uh, these companies either would release their numbers, probably not the case, or at least would be motivated, again, by congressional intervention at some point. I mean, if it's such a disparity and such a labor abuse is happening where these companies like Netflix and WB and all that are making so many billions of reserve, of income and revenue per quarter, maybe they do become compelled. So I'm asking you to look into your, uh, your what do you call it there, the, uh, the glass ball, the... Uh, the mirror. No, I look into the mirror. You look into the ball. <laughs> the crystal ball is what I was trying to get on. But sure, the mirror. Mike, which of these events occurs first prior to August 10th, 2033? So in 10 years time, which of these is going to occur first? Oh, jeez. <laughs> A major streamer releases regular Nielsen-esque viewership numbers on their own accord. Mm-hmm. That's plus 300. <laughs> government intervention forces some sort of regular viewership numbers to become public in the next 10 years that's plus 550 or status quo no streamer releases any public viewership numbers in minus 800 10 years yes well i would 
I would go numbers. Okay. I, I would go, yeah, this is going to happen. I think, in my opinion, these streamers are trying to get their ducks in a row. I think the streaming wars, they're trying to get through the, the Wall Street black backlash. They're trying to stabilize the business models. And they understand that this is an eventuality. That's I mean, I'm probably more optimistic than you on that. Yes, but 10 but, years is a long time. Yeah, and this Google Doc is going to be how many pages? This Prop Bets Google Doc that we're going <laughs> to have to go back and check, fact check ourselves on this one. So I, I would go, I would go the, the numbers route, that they'll just release these numbers based on all this collective bargaining at wow. some point. However, I could see your point that the, the, the to me, the choices are the government forces them to do it or they get the numbers so and i would think if the streamers saw the government intervention coming they would release numbers on their own which is why i put that all right so here's a question to you talk to me about betting again and see if i can figure it out plus 550 the government will force it to happen or plus 300 the the studios will just release it yep i mean the more i say it out loud the more i would say that the the government's probably got to do it the more i'm convincing myself of that middle option however would you like put money on both? Is there a way to do math and make money on both of those odd sets? Well, if you if you're pretty convinced that's what's going to happen, then yeah, you can hedge absolutely. You put a hundred on both, and you're walking away either up a hundred or up three fifty. Oh, that does make sense. Yeah, so I win money either one. So you you would take you would split the baby and bet both. I would. I would bet a okay. hundred dollars on both. Okay, all right. I would do that. I'll put you down for a hundred dollars each, and we'll check back in ten years, no doubt. <laughs> this is fake money, right? Fake money. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll if you guys missed last week, we're betting on everything now. <laughs> Did you miss it last week? Well, that's that's what's happening. We that's probably true. Should have I should have done a recap thing. We are doing prop bets in every <laughs> ORC here going forward. So, all right. Well, I got my first prop bet for you. Good. Let's go on this next one, and we got a story from uh, IndieWire. Asking the question, will David Zasloff, or has he found his streaming bundle partner in Paramount Plus? So this is asking you, Michael, will Max and Paramount Plus bundle over the next year? Will they do that stateside? Yes, minus 300, or no, plus 600 over the next year? Paramount if, Plus and Max. If Max sells its HBO programming out to Paramount, does that count? No, they got a bun. They got a, It's got to be like Hulu Plus. Uh, well, not Hulu Plus, but Hulu and Disney Plus a combined fee. You know, they have Hulu, yeah. Disney, and ESPN, but that's all within the same conglomerate. But this is. This is going to be an inter-studio, inter-conglomerate bundle. So that's that's the question here, and I, and I might. It's second. a good question. I mm-hmm. think I like the I think I like the no odds only because I don't know that there's a like Zasloff has been getting off on licensing his stuff out, mm-hmm. so. Teaming up with another bundler may prohibit that from happening because if you're in co- if you're in cahoots with Paramount, and then you find that Zaslov's licensing The Sopranos out to Netflix, Paramount may not like that. Of course, 
So that may give Paramount pause. And unless there's a way to get money out of Paramount to go into this deal with, where Discovery doesn't, Warner's doesn't have to pay a dime and Paramount's paying money to get in on them, which I think is possible because, you know, HBO Max has more subscribers than Paramount Plus. I just feel like Apple, Paramount Plus, Peacock, they're going to have to do something to get their subscriber numbers way up. We saw Disney. We saw Apple. I mean, we saw Apple try, and we saw Max give things out for free for a while and trials with Disney, low, low price with Disney. They got to do something to get more eyes on their product. They just have to. And yeah, they're still kind of playing this game with uh, traditional media and their cable networks and their or their you know their TV networks. But that's also why you would say no, right? Because you're picking these two specifically. So maybe the year was a was a bad over under. So you're 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 putting how much money down on the plus six hundred? Then that this will not happen. They will not bundle Max and Paramount Plus together in the next year. Oh, I could see myself being very wrong about this. I'll do two hundred. Okay. I don't feel confident about that, though. Okay. I'm just a a degenerate. So the next question. Fake dollars. So the next question I better ask you then is I I better bump it to 2025. I had written down 2024, and I'm looking at these odds. All right. So will any. Uh, a, a group of uh, conglomerates. They're all talking right now at the AMPTP. Will anybody bundle? Will anybody bundle streaming services outside of their own conglomerate by January first of twenty twenty five? So I gotta kind of invert these odds. I would say so to disregard the odds I gave you. I would say yes, like a minus three hundred. Yes, minus 300, you're going to get a bundle by 2025. And no, I would say plus, I don't know, plus 400 I'd give you. 400, 500 maybe. I'd give you plus 500, how about that? No bundles by 2025. And this would mean, this would mean like Apple with Amazon. Or but acquisitions Universal. don't count. Acquisitions do not count. This would so be if, Paramount and Max. This would be AMC if, Plus and Universal, something like that. If Netflix wanted to sell itself to Apple, that doesn't count. No, this is a bundle of, you know, offered to the consumer. Because this is from the consumer's perspective. Oh, I wish I knew how that bundle was, if that was profitable. I don't no, know. I, 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 I would say... You'd still say no, but see, combining them is really tough because you have you're talking about dual ownership. Like, but the it, reason I that that has... ESPN, Hulu, uh, whatever bundle is able because it's all going to Disney's pocket. Well, here's a couple of things that can screw with this bet. Like Hulu could get sold, right, to Comcast. Sure. Disney may do that anyway. We've heard about this, but Apple. You know, I mean, app. Yeah, something can get sold. Some of these the lower echelon, like AMC, could get sold. Jim Dolan could just sell it and just stay in the uh, "I'm making Madison Square Gardens around the world" thing. Like that's that's my biggest hang-up with the bet. Like if the, if it was worded as whether there be any sort of combination or acquisition, then I, I yes, I do think because I do think there's going to be an acquisition coming. Do you ever get in front of a ticket taker 
or Joey the Foot jabroni. <laughs> and do you get in? You ever get into an argument like this with him over the language of the bets? Have you ever? Has that ha- ever happened to you? Okay. Um. <laughs> I don't want a story. Has just, it ever? <laughs> I just want a binary answer. <laughs> Well, the the answer is no, but yes, after I've placed the bet. <laughs> like The answer is, have I worried about the wording of a bet? Yes, absolutely. But I only worry about it after I've already put my money in and I've hoped for the best. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So are you are you betting on no, there's no bundle by 2025? Yeah, I would say no bundle. I would say acquisition. Yes. Are you are you betting a lot of money on that or a little? What are you betting? Fake money. Is you you be bet a, a little money, or you just bet two hundred bucks on twenty twenty four. Essentially, I think I would. Yeah, I think I would. Oh boy, if this was my only bet I was making, you would bet a lot. I think I'd bet like five hundred bucks. I think you're just you're just like at the at this. You're not at the poker table, table man. You don't just got to push your chips in. Yeah, but. That, I don't understand the logic of bundling from two separate companies, especially with egos as big as like Iger and Zaslov. I don't I mean, think that's a, tenable. It's a profit share split. Maybe, maybe like it, Univers- like like Peacock and Paramount, pa- I guess, could do it. Paramount is screwed. They need the Paramount Plus needs to get above like ten thousand subscribe, ten million subscribers. Peacock's got to get up there. They got to bump their numbers. If a couple of them bundle together and it's like 20 bucks for all three services, people won't be churning in and out. They'll just pay 20 bucks and be happy. Oh, you're probably right. I'm just a stubborn mule. Because I, I'm not going to say which a couple of streaming services I'm in and out of, but I'm in and out of a couple streaming services. I had to drop three or four of them because I'm like, I'm just not watching, you know? Just not it's watching. A, it's a it's a good bet and it's it's good odds, and I'm probably way off on both of them. But I just I don't see those big companies profit sharing. And I I, I think if acquisition, I think if any, I think cannibalization is going to happen, not teaming up. Like I could see Netflix buying Paramount or buy, buying like the Paramount Library or something in response to Amazon what they did with MGM. Oh, you think you think Paramount will just get out of the game? Yeah, I could see that happening. Maybe. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, and I'm glad I asked it. Uh, we took way too long doing it, though. Sure did. Because we have a couple more prop bets left here today. <laughs> but uh, you're getting one episode this week, so you get your money's worth. We'll move into Oscar trailers. And the, the trailer for Fair Play, this is a Netflix movie that went to Sundance. I saw it. I'm very curious, Michael, what you thought of this trailer, because I thought it was very telling about the movie what'd you think of fair play trailer it's very steamy and very executive and straight laced but very seductive on the under it's like what if eyes wide shut but billions mm. yeah both of those it, it, it it's kind of <laughs> no it's not it's really not it's more billions than eyes wide I, eyes wide shut this movie well there's but... not, yeah there's not the masks but there's a lot of sex mm-hmm. <laughs> there's um I'm wondering how big of a hit Fair Play is going to be on Netflix. And I'm wondering whether or not you think this movie's trailer is increasing or decreasing the odds, the hit factor odds for Fair Play on Netflix. Because this was the buzziest title 
the buzziest film title Fair Play at Sundance, I thought. And Netflix bought it for a pretty penny, something like 15, 20 million uh, in terms of an acquisition. I don't know what the, the numbers are on its trailer all throughout YouTube, but like the film watch one you gave us, it's only got 21,000 in two weeks. So I don't know how big of a Ooh. bump. That's like, it. I don't know how, how aware people are going to be of this movie that aren't like movie nerds. Oh, so I guess my question's not great then. Um, I mean, and, it could be a hit. Like, like that Jackie Chan John Cena movie has been number one on Netflix for the last two weeks. Also, not something that helps me in terms of setting new lines <laughs> on the fly, because I had a prop bet here of, you know, Fair Play is going to release on October thirteenth, mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask you if it was going to, you know, break into the Netflix top ten all time top ten in terms of first month performances. Wow. Uh, we have the unforgivable. Sandra Bullock, Viola Davis, that did 214 million hours in its first month, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. That was number 10, and you go all the way up to number one. Red Notice did 364 million hours of viewing in its first month. So, I mean, you got that kind of range, 214 to 364 million. And I wonder, I had an over-under for you on fair play, over-under 200 million hours. That wouldn't necessarily crack its top 10, but maybe I'll give you this. I mean, over, I would probably say, I probably have to give you like plus 800 odds now. Mm. And I'd probably have to give you minus 800 odds on uh, the under, under 200 million hours, because that's probably where you're going with it. Yeah, I, I think I would, I'd probably stay away from those odds, but I would bet under if I had to bet one. You would bet under. Do you want to put yeah. anything officially down? 800, $800 to win 100 80 bucks to win 10. No, nah, I'd stay away from it. Wow. 80, right. I mean, I was thinking about doing like 160 to win 20, but with my luck. I mean, look, if you look at the top 10, like the mother didn't get a whole lot of marketing behind it, and it's in there. Wow. Extraction 2. <laughs> I don't know what Purple Hearts is, and it's in there. You know what I mean? Like, so this, there's some names in this Netflix top 10 that. I could exactly. see this movie passing out, so exactly. I'm, I'm not confident enough to... Uh... Steamy Wall Street office politics movie yeah. with uh, two sexy leads, the Bridgerton star, K- K- uh, D- 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 Denever, I forget Caitlin her name. Caitlin Denever, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you, was it good? Did you like it, your experience with it? I liked the first 90 minutes and then the last... I mean, some people loved it. Some people loved the ending. It just, to me, the ending was... It was a different movie than the first 90 minutes, but... Interesting. Okay. I wanted it. it. It got like horror, crazy, domestic thriller in the last 30 minutes, which was kind of like, whatchamacallit, the, uh, what's that movie that we love with our queen in Greenwich, Connecticut, Glenn Close? Uh, that's what I was thinking. Uh, and all I can think of is Basic Instinct. That's not right, is it? It's not Basic Instinct. Um, <laughs> it's the most obvious movie ever. Glenn Close was in. They have the affair. Yeah. Oh my God! Oh, this is oh bad. my God! We yeah, we do this every time, and of course I look up Glenn Close. Gonna, I Google Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. I'm not going to be ignored, Dan. Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah. Anyway, they just remade that too. Right on Paramount Plus. Go figure. Yeah. Yeah. Mother's Instinct got a trailer that was on Twitter for like I don't know how long, but yeah, I, I didn't saw get it. To it. You couldn't see it because they took it down. 
this is the movie that we were wondering if it would get released by Neon from just you know starring Jessica Chastain and Hathaway. I watched the trailer. Looks like some great performances here. This movie's plot is so heavy because the wrong kid died. It's in the trailer. <laughs> or maybe the right kid died. I don't know. Okay. I haven't seen the movie yet. Maybe the right kid died in the trailer, and this is not as heavy of a subject matter. But no, apparently the wrong kid died, and I'm not sure if the the premise is just so heavy and heartbreaking and soul crushing that it can it can work. And you know, we've seen this. We've seen premises like this, like from the sun, just fall on their faces of late, right? But we also have a year where we may have all of the white actresses combining their powers <laughs> to try to get Oscar nominated. May, December, and all these previous winning right, Oscar-winning actresses combining their powers. Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore combining their powers in May, December. Jessica Chastain and Anne Hathaway. Uh, Kate Winslet and Marion Cotillard, Cotillard. Three of them. Three pairings. I don't know. Alice and Celine live a traditional lifestyle with successful husbands and sons of the same age. Life's perfect harmony is suddenly shattered after a tragic accident. Guilt, suspicion, and paranoia combine to unravel their sisterly bond. That's a, that's intriguing. Yeah, it, it, I love the uh, the politics between the, the wives. They're the best friends. We'll see uh, in the trailer. So we'll see if it works. Dick's the musical. We will finish <laughs> with Dick's the musical. This is directed by Larry Charles of Borat, A24's first musical, starring Megan Mullally, Megan the Stallion, Nathan Lane, Bowen Yang, even the cast and crew here is musical sounding and then the two white guys who must be twins <laughs> the writer stars josh sharp and aaron jackson i got a good belly laugh when they did the whole identical twins having the parent trap yes <laughs> their parents and that swerve in the trailer that that was funny and it, this looks bonkers michael very funny trailer and Megan the Stallion's a CEO, and she's just <laughs> singing, like, putting these guys down. And these guys are just, like, your stereotypical, doofy, C-suite, white dude assholes who can do no wrong, and they're perfect, and they're singing about as much, and it's, it's just very funny stuff. To end the trailer, she is walking them around the office on all fours on, like, a, a <laughs> leash of, like, 20, 20 leashes, like she's a dog walker. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> so stupid. September uh, 29th, release. I have a prop bet about Dick's the Musical. Okay. And I wanted to do odds that would entice you either way. So, Dick's the Musical gets a screenplay nomination at the Oscars. Oh, my God. Okay? I mean, it's very... It is a unique premise. It's a very... We, we, it's, we've you... seen wacky movie, movies get in the screenplay category before. Can you imagine Dick's so, the Musical? It's probably not going to happen, right? Probably not. But I put yes at plus 2,500. So I'll give you 25 Ooh. to 1. And oh. I'll put no at a very reasonable minus 300. Here's the thing about Dick's the musical. If it didn't just like pop up out of nowhere and it had more of a traditional like rollout. It was from Broadway, yeah. We got, well, no, I mean, it is from, I mean, off Broadway or Broadway. It I don't, based I, on I, has, it, has it had a long run? I don't remember hearing anything I have no idea. I, yeah. the, but the first I heard of Dick's the musical was last week. Okay. <laughs> Never heard of it before. Same. Same. So that's the thing. Like, Talk To Me. I knew Talk To Me was coming out by A24 for, like, a year. You know? So it's... I, I would... It typically, like, these last-minute surprises, at least people like you and I are aware of them. 
So mm. I would be I would be pleasantly surprised, but I would be shocked. So I'm not. Yeah. You know, what did David say? Ten dollars bet is ten dollars lost. <laughs> so you'd stick with no. Yeah, the horse is in the cabbage patch. Whatever, whatever he said, likes to say. <laughs> yes, that's that sounds like David Long. That's sounds exactly, like David. I, I can't count the number of times he's been on this show telling me the horse is in the cabbage patch. <laughs> All right. Are you, are you betting the full three hundred to win a hundred back? That it won't get nominated. Well, yes. here's the thing about that. Even with funny money, am I just like spiting myself there because i like the movie i want to go and like the movie but now if i have three hundred dollars on it i have to go into this movie and be and be angry if it's well, good you, yeah you can look at it as a lose-lose situation but for every lose-lose situation the other side is that it's a win-win right like if you go in and you like it then you can say yay it's going to be an oscars nomination but it, a one that cost me three hundred dollars yeah, Just but it's three hundred fake dollars lost for it to be an Oscar nom. That's a good thing. This is fake money, right? Well, we'll see. We'll talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm putting you down for the full three hundred, Ron. No. Uh, okay, fine. <laughs> Damn it! But now, if I like it, I'm gonna be like, <laughs> I want dicks to win. <laughs> Uh, and if I really like it, I'm going to be mad that I didn't bet the plus 2,500. I just want dicks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you, t- you turned it to a 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's usually one of us. It's usually yeah. one of us. Yeah, yeah we're breaking. It Today was point after an hour. <laughs> As always, dear listener, what matters most to us are your thoughts. We want to hear your input on any of these prop bets that Mike or I have given you this episode. We want to hear your thoughts on the New York Film Festival and TIFF slates that we talked about here, as well as the updates on the strikes on either side of the uh, the, the negotiating table. You can leave us all of those, as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com, .com, and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts and if you're listening to us on either the apple podcast or spotify app if you appreciate what we do here if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review those help us out immensely thank you to everyone who has done so thus far uh michael you can regale us all as your time during being hunter s thompson's executive assistant and uh, leave us some words of wisdom here and tell the good people what's coming next as well yeah, it's the year of movies about production assistants uh that is coming uh, i wonder <laughs> slash if dicks Slash dicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, slash musicals. Right. And I hope that this prop bet thing is working out for you guys. And I hope you're getting what you need out of this. I, I would say that for the second episode in a row. I'm really not sure. I have no read on on you or your feelings about certain things right now. Maybe we have <laughs> need to have more production meetings. I don't know if you're getting what you need out of these prop bets. I probably didn't do a great job with the odds today. Um, so I thought now, you did fine. I thought you did fine. I did fine. I mean, all right, fine. But I'm not like. <laughs> I really gotta get. I really gotta get you to put money down on the next episode. I'm gonna take that as a challenge. Next episode of Box Grace Checkpoint. We'll probably do a, a later episode next week uh, if some news hits. Otherwise, we got the summer Oscars, which is gonna be a best of the year so far episode. It's probably a good time for that before the film festivals come out Michael so yeah we'll take all the Oscar categories we'll give you our nominees and how we see things we got our 75% accurate uh, predictions coming out uh, those decrease mm-hmm. throughout the year uh, mm-hmm. the, the accuracy level our uh, accuracy 100% level accuracy. and our wallets decrease as the year that's goes right 
That's right. So this is hey, it is what it is. We're we're honest with our listeners. That's what I keep telling myself, right, Mike? <laughs> That's what I say to my therapist every week. Yeah, <laughs> uh, guys. When reality sucks, you can come be dicks the musical with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See you.